I feel so humble this morning. Um, I feel so excited about um, what God's put on my heart to share with you. I also want to just say to you, uh, we uh, have an opportunity to go to Panama City, as you saw. And everyone who has ever gone on one of those trips, those relief trips, has come back and said, it has changed me. And so I, I want to encourage you to consider, agree with that, Alyssa? It changes you. You know, um, Donna would agree the same thing. It, it changes you. It does something to you. And we are looking at possibly sending a team to Northern California, but they're only asking for day teams. And so we haven't put together a, a team for that yet because we want to send people at least for a few days. Um, but let's keep that in prayer because over 1,000 people are still missing. If you can imagine that, 1,000 people uh, possibly could have perished in, in those fires, the campfire. Well, hey, you know, with each passing year, I realize that I'm becoming more and more like my parents um, who had a very weird taste in music. Uh, they liked music from what they call the big band era. And musicians like Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey, these guys here, and um, I don't know if you know who they are, um, but they would play, my parents would play their music uh, around the house and in the house and in the car all the time, and it drove me and my brother crazy. And their music was old, and they were old, and they even looked alike, as you can see here. They just look alike, and it's the same guy. <laughs> my parents just love the oldies but goodies, but... Now that I am officially old, uh, I find myself drawn to the oldies and goodies myself, not Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey, but the good stuff, like the Temptations and Chicago, not the, not the city, but the group, uh, the Beach Boys and Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's the good stuff. You know, with each passing generation, music changes and new groups and singers come and they go and new genres are introduced and, and others fade away into history. And that even applies to worship songs and music. I don't know if you know that, but worship songs and music, there are oldies and goodies. So today, I decided to start a little bit different today. And, by, and I want to start by giving you a quiz. All right, I'm going to give you a quiz to see how well you know the oldies but goodies worship songs. All right, so here's what I want to ask. If you are able, everyone stand. Okay, I want everyone to stand. If you are able, if you can't stand, that's okay. But if you are able, please stand. And I'm going to play some songs for you. And if you don't know the song, then you got to sit down. All right? Last man or woman standing who knows these songs gets a nice reward. They get a pat on the back. All right? So that's their prize. All right? So here's the first song. First song is real easy. All of you should know it because we play it here. We sing it here all the time. So, Tina, would you hit that? Y'all know that? Can you name that song in one note, right? Two, remember that? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh okay, you know that. Next song. Okay, so, okay that's good. All right, so every, that's the first song. It's not an oldies but goodies. All right, so here's an oldie but goodie. Let's play this song. Brendan sat down already. <laughs> there you go. Sit down. Oh, you don't know this song. Okay. Stop the song. All right. Shine, Jesus, Shine. Remember that one? It was released in 1990. All right. Old song. 
All right, here's, a, here's another one. Here's the third side. I see half the, half the audience is already sitting in their seats. Here's another one. Play the third song. It's a Maranatha song. We used to sing it in rounds. Remember that, Austin? Sing it in rounds. 1974 is when that song came out. So you guys that are standing up, boy, you're old, right? Really, really old. All right. Here, we'll see how old you really are. Here, okay, here's the fourth song. Play this song. Close to thee. Just a Oh, there, everyone! Oh, you can't stand up, Adrian. You can't stand up. You stand down. All right, that's good. Patsy Cline, not just a closer walk with thee. 1941 is when that song came out. What is this, Adrian? You know, you know, you don't know the newer songs, but you know the really old songs. <laughs> How about that? Okay, here's here's one more. Listen to this song. We got a few people standing up. I come to the garden alone. Oh, you can All right, that's good. Who knows this song? Who knows this song? It's, it's called In the Garden. Elvis Presley singing that song. But it was released in 1912. Right, really old song. All right? We got, we got a handful of people still standing this one's going to knock you out, all right? Listen to this next song. Oh, glory, 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 glory to the Lamb. Sit down if you don't know the song. There goes everybody. Are you standing up back there? Glory, glory, glory. All right, is, you guys know that song. You know this song, Ken. Glory. Boy, you really are old. Get it. Give yourself a pat on the back. Eliza Hewitt. Glory, glory, glory to the Lamb. Eliza Hewitt, who wrote it, she was born before the Civil War in 1851. So she probably wrote it sometime in the 1800s. I, amazing, right? Yeah, we actually have oldies but goodies when it comes to worship songs. And I don't know if you know this, but you know the church has been worshiping God for more than 2,000, or about 2,000 years. It all began and when the church started in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says the church got together and they were praising God. Can you imagine what worship must have sounded like 2,000 years ago when the church got together for the first time to praise God? But here's what you need to know. Worship didn't originate with the start of the church in Acts chapter 2. It, it was going on even before that. Even before the church started, because all throughout the Old Testament, God's people worshipped him. In fact, the Old Testament scriptures beckoned God's people to praise him, and it even spelled out how. Well, today we're hitting the pause button on our series, uh, Faith in Action, where we were going through the book of James, but for the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to hit the pause button. And, and I wanted to share with you, because it's Thanksgiving on Thursday, share, talk a little bit about worship today and Thanksgiving. And and, and you don't want to miss even, even next week. But I wanted to share with you today six words, six words for worship. Six words for worship. Now, let me give you a little background to set this up. As you probably know, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew 
and uh, Aramaic, but Hebrew was the language of the Jews. So most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And I've told you many times before that the New Testament was written in the Greek. The Bibles we have are, are written in English, not in Hebrew and in Greek, but they've been translated into English. Uh, English. Centuries ago, when linguists translated the Hebrew Old Testament into English, they discovered that there were multiple Hebrew words for the word worship. There were multiple Hebrew words, not just one. And every Hebrew word had a little bit of a different meaning. They had slightly different meanings. But rather than translate the different Hebrew words for worship into its actual words, according to its actual definition, they decided, linguists decided to simplify it. And so they translated not all, but most of the Hebrew words. Many of the Hebrew words, they, they translated into the simple word praise. They just called it praise rather than the actual definition. Thus, in the ESV translation, which is the one we use around here most of the time, many of the Hebrew words for worship that are translated into praise, uh, you'll find that word praise 137 times just in the book of Psalms alone. It's the word praise. The problem with the English word praise is that it doesn't fully convey the depth and the scope and the breadth of the actual words, of the actual Hebrew words. Therefore, in many ways, we are being shortchanged in our understanding of what, really, what worship really is because we're not getting the Hebrew words as they really are. So today I want to give you the six Hebrew words for worship that have been translated into the word praise, and I want to show you what they really mean. And my hope is that when you understand what these words mean, my hope is that it will alter and change the way you worship. It will radically change the way you worship. And so I want to open up our time in a word of prayer, and we'll get started. And again, let's keep, let's keep those folks uh, who've been affected by fire in our prayers. Okay, so let's bow and, and let's pray together. Father God, it's, just, it's so great to be here this morning, and I truly feel humbled God, for the opportunity, the privilege of um, preaching your word. And Father, as, as I prayed last night, my prayer is the same this morning. I pray, God, that today church wouldn't be business as usual. I pray that today would be a game changer for every individual in this room and those in the lobby and those in the cry room everyone who would ever listen to this message. I pray this would be a game changer for them, and I pray this message would be a game changer for our church, for the church of Jesus Christ, because, God, there is no one like you. And I pray that you would help us to understand that so much so that we would worship you in a way that would bring you glory and honor. Father, today as we gather, we, we think of our, our, our fellow man, who suffered? Who have suffered so much, not just in, in here, here in Southern California, but we think about the thousand or so people who are still missing in Northern California. And God, we ask for your divine intervention, and 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 that through even through this terrible tragedy, that you would be glorified, that you would be your name would be made known. And I pray, God, that wherever South Bay Community Church can go and be the light to the nations. You'd help us to do that, even in small little ways. So, Father, today, we ask, I ask that this gathering today would be a game changer for our church. So I commit this to you, and I ask this of you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay. If you brought your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms. 
you open up your Bible, again, bring your Bibles to church with you. If you open up your Bible right in the middle, you should come right to the book of Psalms. It's, it's the largest book there in, in, the, in the Old Testament. And I want to, and again, you have, you, uh, you received a Baywatch. That's our program when you walked in. We have some notes in there. You can follow along there as well. Uh, I think all the verses are listed there for you. And also you can follow us along on, our, on your South Bay app, which you can download from various stores. But the first word I want to uh, take a look at today is the Hebrew word yada. And I'll put it up here for you, yada. <clears throat> and we find it in, in quite a few places, but let me just give you a couple. Psalm 43, verse 4. And it says, and, they will, and then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. All right, so there's the word praise. Circle the word praise. It is the word yada. All right, in Psalm 67, next verse here, Psalm 67, verse 3, it says, let the peoples praise you, circle that, O God, let all the peoples praise you, circle the word praise, twice in this verse. And again, the word here, the Hebrew word for praise is yada, and we see that in Psalm 43 and Psalm 67. You can actually substitute the word yada for praise, for example, in Psalm 67, verse 3, and it would look like this, let the peoples yada you, O God, let all the peoples yada you. All right, and it, and uh, yada is derived, I'm gonna, let me kind of explain this to you. Yada is derived from the Hebrew word yad, which means hand. It means hand. And thus, yada means to worship or to revere with extended hands. You can write that one down. Yada means to worship or revere with extended hands. But you would never know that that's what it means because we read the, our English Bible, and it just simply says praise, but it doesn't say it is to worship with extended hands. All right, but this is how people worship. This is how people worshiped all throughout the Old Testament. For example, David said in Psalm 63, verse 4, the next verse, he said, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Even the prophet Jeremiah said in Lamentation 3, verse 41, he said, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. When King Solomon, I want you to remember this story. When King Solomon gathered the people of Israel to dedicate the temple of God, which he built, 1 Kings 8.22 says this, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He lifted up his hands out of a sense of reverence and awe for Almighty God. And then we see it in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when he finished rebuilding the wall, that was destroyed, that was protected Jerusalem. He re rebuilt the wall. Nehemiah 8, 6 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So people, we see this, Ezra, all the people lifted up their hands to worship their great God. And it says they worshiped God, and he was a great God. You know, I I've shared with you... <clears throat> And I became a Christian at Pepperdine University when I was 21 years old. And for the first two years, I attended church on campus. I, they have a, a, a chapel there. I attended church on campus. And it was a very conservative church. Uh, we only sang, even as a college student, we only sang hymns. And absolutely no one ever raised their hands. Well, after I graduated Pepperdine, I started attending a free Methodist church in Los Angeles. And they did play music. They did sing songs. Um, they had a huge pipe organ. But they only sang hymns. They too only sang hymns, and no one ever raised their hands. 
After I was there for about a year, I started attending a, a mega church in the San Fernando Valley. It also was a very conservative church. I love this church. They too sang mostly hymns. They had about 200 people in their choir, and they would fill the choir loft, which was behind the pulpit. And I would always think about how they sounded like a bunch of angels, the way they sang. They sounded so beautiful. But no one ever raised their hands in this church. About this time, I made some new friends, and they invited me to join their Bible study, and so I did. And I found out that they were hand raisers. The first time, we were in a little, you know, there's 10 of us, 11 of us circled up, and we're, we began with some worship, and they started raising their hands. And you know, when they started, when the hands went up for the first time, I freaked out. I thought, what the heck is this? What are they doing? Why are they raising their hands? This is weird. What have I gotten myself into with a bunch of holy rollers? I thought, whoa. I was uh, very, but even though I was uncomfortable with that, uh, and I was uncomfortable with me raising hands, I got to this place because I saw how much they loved Jesus. I got to this place where I was able to accept this expression of worship. But it wasn't until years later when I studied the Bible to see what it actually said about raising hands that I came to see how meaningful and appropriate it was. I really think about it, if you really think about it, raising hands is kind of, especially raising hands to God, is kind of an instinctive response. I mean, it's an instinctive response. It's a natural response. I mean, if you, if you go to a concert, if you go to a concert and you hear your favorite group, Tommy Dorsey or Glenn Miller or <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire, right, better... You go, what's, what do people do at a concert? They raise their hands. It's not a, this is not, God's not there. It's not a worship concert, but people just raise their hands. It's not awkward. It's just kind of a natural thing to do because they're all pumped up. They're amped up. Here's, here's Bono with his group U2. What are, what are they doing there? They're not worshiping him. They're not worshiping God, but they're all just amped up because they're, they get to hear U2 and Bono sing, and everybody raises their hands. When you go to a sporting event, and your guy, your guy hits a home run, or your guy makes that three-pointer to win the game, what do you all do? You all just raise your hands and pump your fists. It's like, yeah, right? In celebration and victory, you pump your fists. This summer, I went to an angel game with my daughter, Natalie, and my favorite player, Shohei Otani, hit a home run. Take a look, and I gotta tell you, she, and you know what I did? She put it on Instagram. I mean, she, she videotaped it. She, when he was up there batting, she says, I'm going to, I said, I think he's going to hit a home run. So, so she said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tape it. So here's what happened. Take a look at this. <laughs> you just automatically raise your hands, right? You raise your hands. And that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 67, let the peoples yada you, O God. Let all the peoples yada you. I mean, if, if we raise our hands at a sporting event when something exciting happens, why wouldn't we raise our hands toward God? Because there's no one like him. There, there isn't anyone higher than him. There isn't anyone greater than him. He's greater than any celebrity or athlete. He's, he's more exciting than anything that we could ever imagine. There's no one who can do what he can do. There's no one more powerful than him. There's no one more loving than him. There's no one more glorious than him. Why wouldn't we raise our hands and worship to our mighty God to signify celebration and victory and even surrender? What do you do when a 
police officer pulls you over and he says, stick them up. Or a bandit comes, stick them up. Or police officer says, raise your hands. Police officer, you raise your hands and surrender. And that's another thing. We, just, we can come before God and say, God, I surrender. I surrender my life to you. So write this one down. We worship with raised hands. We worship with raised hands. A second Hebrew word for the word praise is halal. Halal. We find this in quite a few places, 96 times in the Old Testament. But let me just give you a couple of them. Psalm 150, verse 6. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. <clears throat> praise the Lord. Circle the word praise there twice. This time again, the word is not, it, this is not yada. It is halal. Let everything that has breath halal the Lord. Halal the Lord is what it says. So write halal right next to it. This is halal. This is what it looks like. Halal means to celebrate. In Hebrew, it means to celebrate or to shine or to boast. You can write that one down. It carries the idea of doing it in such a way as to look foolish. But again, when you read Psalm 150, verse 6, you would never know that because we got the English translation praise, but it's actually halal. And it means to celebrate, shine, or boast. Halal is where we get the word hallelujah. You know this word hallelujah. You're very familiar with it. But the word hallelujah is made up of two Hebrew words. It's made up of the word halal, and it's made up of the word yah. So we put a divide right there between the two of them. Halal, again, means to celebrate, to shine, or to boast. Yah is short for Yahweh. Yahweh is the personal name of God. Remember, according to Hebrew tradition, let me give you some background here. Make, keep, if we can keep that up, you don't mind keeping that up, Tina. Um, according to Hebrew tradition, God's name was so holy that it was never to be spoken. Therefore, when the Old Testament scriptures were written in Hebrew, God's name was never spelled out. Did you know that? God's name is not spelled out in, in Hebrew. Instead, four Hebrew letters were chosen to represent God's name. These four Hebrew letters right here. These are the letters that appear in the Old Testament scriptures to represent God. His name is never spelled out, right? And in, in English, these Hebrew letters would be this, Y-H-W-H. That's what this is. It was pronounced Yahweh. And thus, Yah was short for Yahweh, was short for God's name. And when you put halal and Yah together, you get hallelujah, which literally means celebrate God. Celebrate God. That's what hallelujah means. Celebrate God or shine the spotlight on God in such a way as to look foolish. Halal is like these Kansas City Chief fans who look foolish or like this Denver Bronco fan who looks foolish in this garb or like these Clemson Tiger fans who look foolish when they're cheering for their team. They're not shy. They even look a little crazy. Halal is like that. Halal is not shy. Halal is not modest. It is not conservative. It is not quiet. It isn't Asian. <laughs> and we just read that when King Solomon dedicated the temple, he praised God by lifting up his hands. Remember we just read that? He lifted up his hands to, to heaven. Well, five, five, in 586 B.C., which was approximately 400 years after he built the temple, after he dedicated the temple, 400 years later, in 586 B.C., that temple was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar came and the Babylonians came and destroyed the temple. But then it was rebuilt 70 years later and rededicated in the year 515 B.C. And I want to show you what took place in Ezra, what it says in Ezra 3, 
after the foundation for the rebuilding of the second temple was laid. Take a look at Ezra, Ezra 3, 10 and 11. It says, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the second temple, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. Circle the word praise. According to the directions of King uh, David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising, circle that word praising, and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the, circle the word praise, because they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Those three words praised or praising, halal. It was halal. So if you look at verse 11, it says they sang responsively, halal giving thanks to the Lord for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they halal the Lord because of the foundation of the house. was laid. But you never know it by reading this that this was halal because it's, we got the English word praise. And how did they halal? Verse 10 says the priests came forward with trumpets. These aren't the brass trumpets that we see today, but probably the ram's horns. Sons of Asaph came with cymbals. Verse 11 says they sang responsively and all the people shouted. How did they shout? It says here with a great shout. They were loud. They were jubilant. Their worship was exuberant. And how could it not be after all that God did for them? They were so pumped up. They were so excited. So write this one down. We are to worship loud. We are to worship loud because of who God is. Church, I, I want so much for, for us to worship loud. I want us to worship loud, not to bring attention to ourselves. That would be the wrong reason to do it. And if you're trying to bring attention to yourself, then you need to do a gut check, right? But I want us to worship loud because of who God is and to bring attention to our God. I want us to be so loud when we worship God that when people walk into this room, they're going to want to know who this God is that we're so amped up about. I don't want people to walk in this room and ask, who died? I want them to know that the God that we worship is alive and we are so ecstatic and excited about him that we are loud. A third Hebrew word for worship is tehillah, tehillah, and it means a song of praise. We'll put this up here for you. Tehillah is, means a song of praise. Take a look at Psalm 34, verse 1. David wrote, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, his tehillah shall, be continually, in, shall continually be in my mouth. Again, Tehillah. David said Tehillah, a song of praise, would continually be in his mouth. We see it again in Psalm 66, verse 2. It says, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious Tehillah. Notice, sing the glory of his name. Tehillah, it is singing. It is not halal. It is not yada. And what does Tehillah look like? It sings the glory of his name. Tehillah is to worship in song. And so the third way we worship is by singing. You can write that one down. Worship sings. Worship sings. First Chronicles 16.9 says, Sing to him. Sing praises. Tehillah to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. You know, there's, there's something about singing. There's just something about singing that encourages the soul. Uh, there's something about it that just connects us with God in a way that mere words cannot. I think we would all agree to that. For example, I could say to you, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I see the rolling thunder. 
thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And you would hear me say those words, and you would say, wow, those are, those are great words, man. Well, those are inspiring words. But then if you could hear me sing it, oh, boy, you'd, you'd make a beeline for the door. No, seriously, when you hear somebody sing how great thou art, what does it do? Makes your spirit soar. I mean, it just makes your spirit soar. Just something about singing. When you hear words put to music, there's something about it that just makes your spirit soar takes you to a different place. It'll give you hope when you feel like you've not, you don't have any hope in your life at that moment. It will give you strength. It will inspire you to keep going on when you feel like you're going to give up. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in this very room. In fact, last night, and I was praising God with tears running down my face. That happened last night in this room. See, most importantly, our singing will touch the very heart of God. There are 400 references. I don't know if you know this, but there are 400 references to singing in the Bible. If that doesn't give you an idea of how important it is that we sing. And for those of you who can't carry a tune like me, God is tone deaf. God is tone, he, when he hears you sing, he doesn't make a beeline for the exit. right? God loves to hear you sing because you're singing to him. So sing with all your heart. The fourth Hebrew word I want to show you is zamar. It is Zamar. It's spelled like this in English. Psalm 92 verse 1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises. Circle that word praises. It's the word Zamar. So write down Zamar right next to it. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing Zamar to your name, O Most High. And Psalm 68 verse 32 says, O kings of the earth, sing to God. Sing Zamar to him, to the Lord. Selah. Selah is a pause. Sing praises to him, Zamar. And again, we see this. Again, the word praises, we would never know it. We would never know it. It it is the word Zamar, and it means to make music. It means to make music. Zamar literally means to pluck the strings of an instrument. Zamar, pluck the strings of an instrument. Make music. Psalm 57, verse 8 says, Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Among the peoples, I will sing praises. That's Zamar. I will sing Zamar to you among the nations. And so in verse 8 here, in Psalm 57, we see the use of instruments in worship. You know, as I mentioned just a moment ago, for the first two years of my life, I attended attended church on campus at Pepperdine University. And I don't know if you know this, but Pepperdine is affiliated with the Church of Christ, which forbids the use of instruments in in their worship service. And so all the singing, all the worship was done a cappella without any instruments. And I just want you to know there's nothing in Scripture that forbids the use of instruments in worship. There's nothing. In fact, the opposite is true. The opposite, the Bible says to zamar, to praise God with music. And I also want to say there's nothing that in the Scriptures that says you can't worship God a cappella. A cappella is a very beautiful form of, of worship, and, and we, we do it here every once in a while. And so the instruments of choice in the Bible, what were they? The, the harp, the lyre, the flute, and the trumpet. Again, that's that ram's horn. And there was nothing about these instruments that made 
that was divine. It's like, oh, you, we got to have a harp. We got to have a, a lyre, we, whatever that is. We got to have this ram's horn. There's nothing divine about these instruments, just as there is nothing divine about the keyboards and the, and the drums and the bass guitar and the electric guitar and the, and the acoustic guitar. Nothing divine about it. But when they are played for God and to God, something very special happens. God brings, God is honored and glorified. So write this one down. Worship is also musical. It is also musical. You know, between May 1618 and May 1648, the years 1618 and the year 1648, Europe was devastated by what historians have described as the most, one of the most destructive conflicts in all of human history. It was known as the Thirty Years' War from May 1618 to May 1648. It was known as the Thirty Years' War because it lasted for 29 years, 11 months, 3 weeks, and 1 day. Six days short of a full 30 years. The Thirty Years' War began as a battle between Protestants and Catholics in the Holy Roman Empire. And then it gradually spread to most of the Central European nations. It is estimated that during this 30 years war, 11.5 million people lost their lives. 11.5 million people died because of the conflict, but in addition to that, because of the famine and because of the disease that was brought on by the war. The year before the war started in 1618, this man, Martin Rinkart, became the pastor of a church in his hometown in Eilenburg, Germany. He became the pastor. And Eilenburg was a walled city. So when the war broke out, people flocked, took refuge in the city. They came to the city. They flooded the city because they felt it was safe because it had a wall around it. But Eilenburg wasn't such a safe haven as armies would march through it and ransack the city and take all of the food. And then in 1637, the war is still going on. The plague, the Black Plague, swept through the city. There were four pastors in Ellenburg at the time. One of them fled. Two of them died because of the Black Plague. And only one remained, Martin Rinkart. He was the only one that was still alive. As the only pastor in the city in Eilenburg, Germany, he quickly found himself taking care of all the sick and burying all the dead. That year, in 1637, he buried 40 to 50 people a day. 40 to 50 people a day. He buried more than 4,400 people that year, including his own wife. Through it all, he never flinched. He never lost hope. He never lost his joy. He gave up everything he had. He barely had enough food to feed his own children. And because he wanted to give his children a song that they could sing at the dinner table that, remind, that would remind them to thank God, he composed a song that has become one of the most well-known thanksgiving hymns of all time. It was called, Now Thank We All Our God. Now Thank We All Our God. The first verse goes like this. I'll put it up here for you. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. And the chorus goes like this. 
All praise and thanks to God, the Father, now be given, the Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. So imagine this single father and pastor coming home at the end of the day after having buried 40 to 50 people, sitting around the dinner table with his children with probably hardly anything to eat, and leading them in singing, all praise and thanks to God the Father now be given. That's what he did. That's what he did. Rinkart must have known about this fifth Hebrew word for praise, and that's todah, todah. We find it in Psalm 42, verse 4, for example. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, God with glad shouts and songs of praise, todah a multitude-keeping festival. Circle that word praise right, right next to it, todah. And I love this one. I love this one because the Hebrew definition of todah is this. It is to extend a hand of thanksgiving to God for what he has done. Todah. Extend a hand in thanksgiving. Todah shows up again in Psalm 56. Here's the quick backstory in Psalm 56, of Psalm 56. It was written by King David at a time when he was trapped by the Philistines. Verses 1 and 2 describes his dilemma. Read verse 1 and 2. He wrote, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. It was bad. This was his 30 years' war. He was under siege. And then he says in verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings, todah. I will extend my hands in thanksgiving to you, O God, even when I am under siege. I will extend my hand in thanksgiving to you, God, even when things are bad, even when I am under attack, even when my life is beset with problems. I will give thanks to you. And what these verses show us is that thanksgiving is an essential part of worship. That's something I want you to remember as you celebrate thanksgiving this Thursday, that thanksgiving is an essential part of worship. So think about worshiping God this Thursday. So write that one down. Worship is giving thanks. It is giving thanks. When we worship, it is our opportunity to thank God for who He is and for what He has done. Let me ask you something. In just a few days, we celebrate thanksgiving. What will your Thanksgiving be like? Maybe, maybe this has been the worst year of your life. Maybe this has been the worst year of your life. Maybe this was the year when you had to bury a loved one. Or maybe this was the year when you lost everything you had. Or maybe this was the year that your spouse told you that they're out of there. Maybe this was the year that your, one of your children ran away. Or you found out that they were on drugs. Or this is the year that you lost your job. Or you lost your house. Can you still todah? Extend a hand of thanksgiving to God? I hope you can. Not because of your circumstances, but because of who God is. And because of what he's still done for us. 
Well, finally, the sixth Hebrew word for praise is shavah. Shavah. It's, you would, when you read it, in English, the transliteration, it looks like shabak, but it's pronounced shavah. I checked the, the, the Hebrew dictionary. Psalm 63, verse 3 says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Circle the word praise. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will shavah you. Shavah you. And it means to commend or to laud. To commend or to laud. Of all the words we looked at, Shavah is the one which is closest to the English translation praise because it means to commend or to laud or to praise. Many of you are familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were cast in the fiery furnace by the pagan Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar because the three of them refused to bow down to the king's golden idol that he had erected. He says, you need to bow down to this thing, and if not, you're going to be thrown to the fiery furnace. But to make a long story short, the fiery furnace, so he threw them in because they refused to bow down, threw them in, and it had zero effect on them, zero impact on them. It didn't even singe the hair on their, their heads. When Nebuchadnezzar peered in the furnace to see if they were still alive, he didn't see three, but he saw four individuals walking around inside this huge furnace. The fourth one, Nebuchadnezzar said, had the appearance of a son of the gods, and that's because it was Jesus the fourth one. And after the king witnessed this amazing, miraculous miracle, he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego brought out of the fire, and then he proclaimed this, Daniel 3, the next passage there, Daniel 3, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar uh, proclaimed, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And then he issued a decree. He said, first of all, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he issued a decree that if anyone ever spoke against their god, that that person's limbs will be torn from limb to limb and their house will be laid in ruins. And then... In other words, Nebuchadnezzar went from being this pagan idolater to a believer in the one true God. And then at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, it says this in Daniel 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted, get this, I lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me, my sanity returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised, circle that word, praised, I shavah, I shavah. And again, you won't know that simply by reading the English translation, but I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And then you jump down to verse 37. It says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise shavah and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. In other words, he shavad, he shavad God. How did he do that? What did that mean? He lauded him, he commended him, he praised him, he, he, he heaped, he accolades on him. He couldn't stop talking about him. Wow, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is amazing. I can't believe he could do this. What a powerful God he is. What a mighty God he is. He just kept on going on, just pouring out all this praise upon him because of who he is and what he did. You see, worship is praise. You can write that one down. Worship is praise. It is when we praise God. It is when we commend him. 
It, when we, it, it is when we say to him, God, there is no one like you. I can't believe you did this. You're amazing. You're so loving. You're so kind. You're so good. You're so generous. You're such a great provider. Thank you for being a protector. It is going on and on and on. Worship is all about giving glory that is due, giving glory to God that is due his name. And when we read the Psalms, we'll see the word praise. What we don't really see are the meanings, the real meanings behind it. But now you know. Six words of worship. Yada, worship with extended hands. Halal, worship and celebration. Be loud. Tehillah, worship and song. Belt it out. Zamar, worship with music. Toda, worship with thanksgiving. And Shavah, worship by heaping praise on God because of who he is and what he's done. Here's my final question for you. Are you a God worshiper? Or are you a God observer? Are you a God worshiper? Or are you simply a casual God observer? I submit that if you really believe in God, if you truly believe in God, you can't be unaffected by him. You can't be unaffected by him. You can't be a casual observer of who he is. You can't just come to church and not be affected by who God is. One day, you will be affected if you're not affected already. One day, I believe that when we get to heaven, we will be so affected, we will be so moved, so in awe of the majesty and the glory and the power of God, the holiness of God, that every one of us, I believe, we will all fall on our faces with our hands extended to worship him. I believe that we're going to all find ourselves in that position one day because you can't help but be unaffected in the presence of a holy and awesome God. So why would, be, why would we be unaffected here, today, on planet Earth? That's why we come to church, to worship him. If you believe God, if you believe he's real, then church, worship him with everything you've got. Yada, halal, tehillah, zamar, toda. Shavah, because he is God. Let's close our time in prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, will you think about what you just heard? You think about your own worship and maybe your own little hang-ups Maybe they're cultural. Maybe they're, maybe it's rooted in your personality. You're just kind of shy and quiet. That's okay. That's who, you, who God made you to be. But if God is God, if God is almighty, if God is holy and glorious, God to move in your heart in such a way that you will worship him. Ask God to move in such a way that today will be a game changer for you. That from this day forward, 
you will never think of him in the same way that you have until this day. That you will come before him. And every time you have the opportunity, you will give him everything that you have. Father God, there is no one like you. And, and we are set by our own humanness, our own frailties, our own little hang-ups and schisms and schisms. And we come to church and sometimes we're just casual observers. We just sit here and our lips don't move, our hearts aren't moved. God, I pray that you would work in us and in our church so that we might not be, so that we might be affected, that we might worship you in the way that you deserve. So Father, do a work in us, do a work in me. Not because we want South Bay Community Church to be a certain kind of a church. No. Do work in us because you're God and we're nothing. And you chose us and you love us. Help us to worship you, God. Thank you, Father. Now bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.